Welcome to You, you Had Me at Black. I'm Martina Abraham-Zalunga. And I'm Brittany Abrahams. Sister, can you believe that this is our last week of At the House? Nah, I really can't. We started the series when shelter-in-place orders started to hit around the country, and no one knew what to expect. Yeah, it's been a stressful time for a lot of people. I mean, you got laid off. Yeah, I did. But we know people who've had it worse. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And our hope was that this series would just be something light to lift people's spirits, you know? Even if it's just for a few minutes. To get us reminiscing about the past or dreaming up a brighter future. Mm-hmm. And the stories that people sent in did all of that. Some of them had us rolling. <laughs> <laughs> and some of them really made us stop and think. They did. And to close this series out, we're talking about escape today. Honestly, I think it's fitting we're ending on this topic. It captures how a lot of people are feeling. For sure. We got the most number of submissions for this cycle. But it really made me proud. Like, folks are out here breaking free from all kinds of confinement, spiritual change, relationships, and all these circumstances that just don't serve them. I was pretty inspired hearing these stories. Mm-hmm. So shall we get to them? Let's do it. But first, we gotta let the people know that this episode is sponsored by Identity. They help you manage all your accounts across the internet in one place. Need to share your Netflix login with your cousins so they can watch the Parkers too? Now you can, without giving up your password. Our listeners can get started for free at identity.com slash Y-H-M-A-B. And one more thing. Make sure to listen all the way to the end of this episode for a special announcement. Alrighty, it's story time. job that just did not value you? I sure have. Our first two stories are about escaping toxic workplaces and finding your peace. Like Takesha, she learned that the money and title ain't always worth the headache. So I was a kid that did everything right. I got good grades, rarely got into trouble, went to college, even went to graduate school. And I always got good jobs working with Fortune 100 companies. I made really good money. I bought a house. I drove a nice car. I drove an Audi Q5. It was midnight blue, dark caramel interior, moonroof. Oh, I love that car. Okay, I digress. So I was finally promoted to a director of marketing, but I had to move to Ohio from Florida, which I thought, not a big deal. I'd lived up north before. I was like super excited because I had two managers reporting to me and two contractors that work with an agency. I was managing a multi-million dollar budget, and I thought, yes, finally, I can be my own boss. I can implement my own ideas and things that I wanted to create. But my excitement was very short-lived. I quickly realized that being a woman in leadership, let alone a Black woman, was going to be an uphill battle with seven other white directors. The sales directors were always trying to tell me how to allocate my budget based on what they wanted versus 
what I knew to be a better marketing budget. Mind you, I worked in marketing, they worked in sales. So why are they trying to tell me what to do with my marketing dollars? So this came to a head when they told my boss that I was being defensive and not collaborative. And I'm like, uh, excuse me? Uh, but if you wanted a puppet, you shouldn't have hired me. You shouldn't have promoted me into that position. But you know what? I just said, fuck it. I'll be a paycheck taker. I'm going to mail it in. I'm going to show up. I'm going to smile. I'm going to kiki and go home and not worry about them. So within about six months, the company was doing layoffs. And I was like, oh, this is my chance. Because they were giving out really good packages, like seven months of pay plus two weeks for every year that you've been there. And I'd been with the company like six years. So I'm like, oh, this is nice. Plus they were going to give you uh, your bonus. So I was like, oh, please, please pick me, pick me. I felt like the girl in the Hunger Games where it's like, I volunteer as tribute. So the day that my call was to come to let me know if I had a job or not, I stayed at home. And when HR finally called me, they're like, Keisha, we just want to let you know, you and your team are fine. Your jobs are not going to be eliminated. My heart sank. In that moment, I had to like muster up a happy sound because I was like, great, thanks. I'll let them know. And then I had to go into the office and tell the team that we were all okay. And I had to act happy. And that's when I realized, you know, wanting to get fired was there's some, something seriously wrong with that. So I asked, why am I suffering? Why am I putting myself through this? I don't like Ohio. I don't like the job. I'm just tired of the BS. And at that point, I made a plan. And I was like, at the end of my relocation contract, so I had to be there two years or pay back like $50,000. So I'm going to leave. And so in the meantime, while I was waiting for these 18 months to pass, I just, you know, I didn't quite mail it in, but I did, you know, enough to be, to not be seen as not doing my job. And I played the part until finally that great day came when it was time for me to tell my boss that I was leaving. And once I did that, I swear, I feel like a weight was lifted off of me. The first thing I did, within 30 days of leaving, I was on a plane to Africa. I went to Kenya, I went to Tanzania, I went to South Africa. And let me tell you, I did not realize how much of myself I suppressed in all of my years of working to fit into corporate America, to do all of the right things, and how much of me I just put aside on a shelf. And it's something that I will never do again. So at the age of 40, I feel like I finally started living. I, in that time between when I quit to today, I went to visit 11 countries. And what I learned is the road that was paved for us in terms of societal markers of success, good job, you know, going to college, getting a nice car, getting a house, those may not be for everybody. And I learned to carve out a new definition of success for myself. And that new definition is, if I feel like I'm expanding or growing, I'm a success. And it does not have to do with any material possessions or you know, job titles. And really question what makes you happy and do those things. Next up is Rachelle. So there was a time in my teaching career where I was the director of languages at a university that was a part of a bigger university system in Oaxaca, Mexico. It was 
an ideal job on paper. I had a small team of six teachers under me. I had a beautiful office. Our campus was located on the coast. We were literally walking distance from one of the most beautiful beaches on that part of the Mexican coast. But things on paper aren't always as they seem in real life. And this job was the only teaching job I've ever worked where I had to punch a time clock at 8 o'clock every morning and punch out that same time clock at 1 o'clock to go to lunch and then punch back in at 4 o'clock to start my workday again and punch back out at 7 o'clock at night. There was barely any time during the day for enjoyment and it was just not a pleasant environment at all. And so when I would get home, I was just frustrated and tired and just dead. So I've always been artistic and I've always enjoyed creating interesting abstract drawings. And I'm also a practicing meditator. So I love mandalas and I love the concept of, of a temporary piece of artwork that's a form of meditation. So I was at home one Saturday and a friend of mine and I were talking about just how tired we were of this drudgery that we had to deal with at work. And she said to me, you know, as much as you love artwork, why don't you do a mural here at your house? I had this beautiful blank wall right next to my door that led into the front of my house. And I was like, no, the Lord's not going to let me paint that wall. And she said, well, you wouldn't have to paint it. You could just draw on it with like chalk or something. And I thought, wow, that that's a cool idea. But my landlord was skeptical. Uh, he agreed, but only if I promised I would wash it off when I was done. So every day I would come home from work and take advantage of the little bit of sunlight that I had to add a bit to the drawing. And it went from just a small circle with a lotus in the center to a giant mandala with triangles and filigrees and dots and at some point my landlord came down and said wow that's really amazing he was totally surprised I want one I want a permanent one and so I went from drawing in chalk on my own wall just as therapy to painting a permanent mural on my landlord's wall, on the wall of one of the apartments that he had a patio with like an extra wall on. And that mural is still there to this day. It's a mural of Yemaya uh, in the middle of a mandala surrounded by shells and waves. And I think about just how easy it is to get caught up in toxic environments, whether it's work or family or relationships, and we can forget a part of ourselves. But me taking that suggestion from a friend to just randomly draw on my wall not only allowed me to be able to get back to myself, but it allowed me to do the job that was paying my rent and making sure that I had food on my table without losing any more of myself. I was able to escape a toxic work environment through art. Now we have two stories about escaping toxic relationships. We'll start with Tony. He saw red flags on his honeymoon, but a particular phone call was the straw that broke the camel's back. In 2011, my best friend actually introduced me to 
my now ex-wife, and she was from a place called Austria. The culture aspect of it was interesting to me, and I thought that it was worth pursuing. It all started out very well, like most relationships, you know, the honeymoon period, everything is good, laughter and love, and fell very hard for this person. I wanted the type of love that my parents had. It's just a relentless love for each other. That was what I was in search of. So we got married, but within the first year of our marriage, things led to a very toxic state. I thought to myself, you know, is this a normal situation? People have hardships. And this was more like my first real relationship. But sometimes the most simplest things can lead to an argument. And it could be anywhere from deciding where we're going to go eat for dinner to what we're going to watch on TV tonight. But everything led to an argument, which I thought was just stupid. I was not a fan of it. Also, she became very non-supportive during the marriage that I had to question, you know, is this person really for me? And are we going to build an empire together? And I felt it wasn't going that way. So speed up to the year of 2017, we went on a honeymoon a year and a half after our, our marriage. And we went to Europe, Austria, her country, which is absolutely beautiful. But things still weren't as good as they should have been during that time. We had probably one of the largest arguments during our honeymoon <laughs> in our relationship. And I called my brother. My brother told me that it was maybe time to reevaluate certain things. I said, well, I'm on my honeymoon. We said, these are just relationship issues. So what I was thinking about doing was going forward and trying to be as positive as I possibly could. And I went and I spoke with her and we both agreed that we were going to try to really build and work with each other. The issue was that I guess we had different visions for our marriage, which I soon realized when we got back home from Europe. We tried to work things out. Things got more toxic to arguments that turned physical from her end to mine. And then one day she decides to pull a Amy Cooper and <laughs> call the cops on me for something that I did not do. When the police came, I thought that, well, hey, I have marks on me and maybe she'll get arrested. But they arrested me. That was a very eye-opening experience, being in jail for something that I did not do. When my brother came to pick me up from jail, I said, man, I think it's time for that divorce. <laughs> and two days later, I went to the courthouse to file for divorce. I wanted to live up to the legacy of my parents, and I couldn't do that. So we just were not compatible. I realized that this is the time to find myself. Sometimes when you're with people or in a current situation, you lose yourself. And it's horrible to lose yourself. And that was the most hardest thing to swallow was that I make a mistake for almost eight, nine years of my life. And how do I restart and transition myself into being a better person? How do I grow? But I feel empowered and emboldened and getting divorced was the best decision I've ever made in my life. And now I'm finding who I am as a person. Our next storyteller thought she met her Prince Charming, but chasing the fairy tale almost cost her everything. 
It started when I was 20. I like to think of myself as accomplished, for my age at least. I obtained my cosmetology license. I even had my own salon by 20. I was doing it. I was out salsa dancing, and I met this guy who I thought was Prince Charming. I mean, he was every woman's dream. He was tall and good looking, beautiful green eyes. I thought surely he was sent from God himself. So he got my number and it started with the phone calls and the dating. I mean, it was all she wrote from there. But I unconsciously put his value above mine. The constant disrespect, the cursing, Unfortunately, by the time I was able to correct that, I was already pregnant with baby number one. But because I grew up in a single family home with a single mom, I wanted more. I figured surely I have to make this work. I have to stay in it. But it only got worse. Three years in, my self-esteem was so low. He even used to tell me nobody else would ever want you but me. And I even believed it. But he came back with the apologies. He'll never do it again. He sees my value. He'll never hurt me. And why would I not believe him? I did. I took him back. We got married. We ended up getting pregnant with baby number two. But guess what? The problems did not go away. Instead, they got worse. It got so bad that my son ended up having emotional issues. So here I am thinking that I was saving my son, giving him the family that I never had. When in all actuality... I was doing more damage. Home was toxic, and all he knew was toxic. So he was acting out. His mental health was being affected because my mental health was affected. His education was going down the drain. He was having issues at school. But I ended up getting hospitalized in a mental ward for having an emotional breakdown. Not even far afterwards, my son had even gotten hospitalized for his mental health in such extreme behavioral health episodes. It was a rude awakening. And when my baby's life was on the line, I said, wow, this is really real. Emotional and mental abuse is really real. And I have to make a decision. It's either me chasing after this man or it's gonna cost either my life or my child. And I'll never let that happen. I escaped and when I was in the court, The judge looked at me and said, you want a restraining order because of mental abuse? I said, yes, judge, it's a thing. He was in awe of my honesty. I said, it's real. So just because he's not physically putting his hands and beating me, that doesn't mean that he's not doing. The judge ruled in my favor. And so I stand here now to tell women, men too, you know, your mental health is all that you have. So protected. And I made the best decision I ever could. And since then, I've been flourishing. So that's my children. And they even have a great relationship with their dad now. And he and I are co-parenting really well. So I encourage you to seek help if you need escape as well. You got this. If you or someone you know is experiencing domestic violence, contact the National Domestic Violence Hotline via text or call at 1-800-799-7233. If you're a part of the LGBTQ community, you can also call the LGBT National Help Center at 888-843-4564. I call this story the time I dodged a major migraine. My mom isn't old, but she sure isn't tech savvy. 
and she for sure is not organized. So you can imagine my horror when I go to visit her and she turns to me with a smile so wide that her dimples show. Guess what? She squeals. I'm downsizing. Holy cow. Moving from my childhood home to a townhouse, I guess that is the next step for an empty nester. I hug her tightly. As long as she doesn't ask me to help her pack, I got no worries here. She'll be fine. She got this. Or so I thought. Fast forward a week later, and I'm in her living room, surrounded by boxes, trying to decide what to do with the years of stuff that really should be thrown away. She peeks around the corner and asks, how do I cancel my cable? Online, I tell her. She freezes. Oh, well, what's the website? I shrug. Hell if I know. A few minutes later, and she reappears. What's my Amazon login again? I need to change my billing address. And now I see that this move was going to be a lot harder than I thought. And then she's back in the room. Identity, she shouts. Identity! I'm like, huh? But then I remember. A few months ago, I set her up on identity.com. It's this dope site that organizes all of your online accounts into one place. I'm talking everything from your cable, insurance, and bank account to Amazon, Hulu, and all online shopping sites. You can securely access or update each one whenever you need to. We log into Identity and boom! In seconds, she's updating her billing and shipping details across different sites. Aww! And her wide dimple smile is back too. Who said moving has to be a nightmare? So I guess this is really a story of the time Identity helped us both dodge a major migraine. You had me at black listeners can get started for free at identity.com slash Y-H-M-A-B. That's identity, I-D-E-N-A-T-I. After school, Terrence and Irving decided to take paths less traveled by. Irving let go of a career he thought other people wanted for him and decided to walk in his purpose. In 2013, it was coming up on graduation and I was like hustling, trying to get everything together. I took like 21 hours that semester. I was just so stressed out and I had a lot going on, a lot on my plate. But the real problem was I had spent all this time, you know, going to school and doing the quote unquote right thing. Graduated with honors, took my LSAT and got accepted to law school. But I still felt so empty inside, you know. I didn't feel fulfilled, you know, and I didn't feel like I fit into that environment. And it was starting to weigh me down. And this whole time I was working on my music, I had always been an artist, always been a great writer. But, you know, I was kind of trying to play both sides, like, please everybody, you know. Soon after my graduation, I was at a football game, and I was telling this older gentleman, I was like, he was like, what are you doing now, son? And I was like, "Uh, you know, I'm working on my music, I'm going to go to law school. And it's going pretty well for me. And he was just like, you know, you can always go to law school. And he just kept saying that. And I'm like, do you even really hear what I'm saying? I just went through a dark time. I was super depressed. And then I just felt like I was trapped in life. And one day I finally just decided, like, no, I'm not about to do this. I'm about to find my way back out to Atlanta. I'm about to work on my music. And I'm about to be platinum superstar. I went back and I did that. You know, I started grinding, started doing shows, and I had been writing for years. I knew it was my destiny, so I just kept going, and things really started to fall into place. And throughout this journey, I've had, you know, grown so much. I'm so blessed, 
and to see the success that my music has had, it's just, it's overwhelming sometimes, you know. And what I learned from that is people don't mean you any harm, but they see the world through their eyes and they may not understand what we're doing, but we got to do it. We got to step out on faith. Being someone who I feel like I've been blessed with a vision from God and we all have a path and a, a purpose in this life. And no matter what things you accomplish or achieve in the material world, if you're not moving in that purpose, you will be empty, you know. And we're not put here to be empty. We're put here to be abundant. Terrence, he escaped people's opinions and judgment and discovered a sense of purpose and stability he never experienced before. Here's what happened. My senior year, I didn't feel ready for the world yet. I just didn't feel ready for the workforce. I was stressed all the way out. I, I, I didn't know what, what I was going to do afterwards. They didn't want academia again. So grad school was out the picture, at least for that moment. So I knew I, I was in the mind for broadening my perspective, but I just didn't know what to do. And I didn't want to express because I usually know what to do. Everybody, you know, there's Terrence always got visions. He always got goals. He, he you know, I can't wait to see what he's going to do next. Like, bro, I didn't know what I was going to do next. But I saw all these ads for Peace Corps going to Rwanda. I've never done anything like that before. My friends and family often are used to me making decisions after consulting with them and hearing their judgment and hearing their peace because I value their opinion. But this time, I didn't tell anybody about this. I went to the Peace Corps office that we had on campus. I applied, got accepted, did the shots that I needed for the trip. I raised about $3,000 to help me out with the move. And I did all this by myself. This was big for me. I didn't tell my friends and families and my mentors because I was escaping the opinions and judgment. I knew everybody back home had something negative to say about Africa. I didn't tell anybody about this until seven days before I departed. And ironically, seven days before I departed was my graduation. So right after I walked off stage, I get my bachelor's degree. I go down to my mom, parents, all of them. I tell them, I'm going to Africa. I'm going to Rwanda to be a Peace Corps volunteer. I'm going to help out with malaria elimination. They were disappointed. You're going to be down with the booty scratches. You're going to be in the jungle. You're going to be in the wild. There's terrorists over there. Just a whole bunch of negativity from people who have never even been to Africa, and let alone even outside the country. But I had to see for myself and escape the opinions and judgments of others. I'm so glad that I did because for two years out there, I was able to see a whole nother side of the world and a different ways of living, different culture. I discovered my passion for education. I, I was able to purchase a house. Like I've never had a house before. I never had a car before. I had all this while I was out there. I even had a fiance. I was able to evaluate myself on a level that I just wasn't able to back in the States. I was able to find myself. Finally, we have KS. At the end of last year, she and her daughter were living in China. 
When news about COVID-19 started to spread, they had a decision to make. Ride it out or make a beeline for the border. So I was a teacher at an international school teaching Spanish, and I worked in Shenzhen, China, which is in the southern region of China, not too far from Hong Kong. And I remember going to school that morning, and I, you know, I checked the news the night before, really the day before. There was all kinds of news about like, hey, there's something going on in the northern part of China. People getting sick, and it's it sounds bad. And I remember I went to school wearing a mask. It's not all that uncommon in China to like really wear masks. But I remember being in my classroom and my students being like, "Hey, señorita, qué pasa? What's going on with you?" And I was like, "Uh, uh have you guys not heard the news?" But what was bizarre was, you know, the faculty members weren't wearing masks either. So here I am in the classroom with a mask and I'm just like, I'm doing the proper things, taking precautions, being a leader. And everybody else is just like, you know, acting like nothing is going on. So it was a Chinese New Year holiday that was approaching. So we were out on Friday. Friday, get together with some of my melanated mamas. And, I mean, we had established a nice community over there, tons of us with our children, Black mamas in China and in Shenzhen. And we were like, let's have a little Chinese New Year gathering, have some wine, have dumplings and all kinds of good food. Like the mama bear of the group, she made curry chicken. It was bomb. It was a great time. But mama bear, (laughs) she decided to get everybody into a little, little, I don't want to say like a panic, because she was just voicing the concerns about what was going on. Like, hey, guys, like, what do, you, what do you think we should do about this? Because, I mean, the holidays approaching, people are about to start moving, traveling here and there. And if there really is a serious outbreak, what's going to happen when they all return to China? I hadn't really thought of leaving the country beforehand, but, like, those concerns were so valid to me. I mean, no one wants to be in China during the biggest migration on the planet when people are returning if they're sick. So, like, I was immediately, like, taking note and on her side. After that, my other girlfriend, we were like, okay, so what do you want to do about this? And I was just like, I think we should leave because Chinese New Year holiday is typically about two weeks, if not, you know, three weeks. So, like, we could have a window of time to just kind of, like, feel out whether it was serious or not. So, like, let's just go, whether we go to Thailand or to the United States. So, I'm like, all right, let's get out. Packed me and baby girls' bags. Packed all of the essentials that we had, including, you know, important documents. And we're ready to go. We were ready to go. Bought my plane ticket. So we're, we're definitely heading out of the country. And then my friends called me. A three-way phone call. And the girls were like, hey, do you really want to leave China right now? And I was like, yeah, we got to go. We got to go. It is not safe. Who knows what's going to happen right now? We got to get out of here. And the one girl, she was like, are you sure? Because my girlfriend, main girl, I'm going to call her like, uh, what can I call her? Cindy. <laughs> she was like, I don't know. I'm on the fence about it. And I got that. I, I understood. But I was, I had already made up my mind. Like, we're going. So the flight canceled my ticket. I freaked out because I was like, oh, my God, how am I going to get out of this country? I'll never forget sitting by the window in that apartment with my baby and thinking we're going to be here when these people return. And who knows, who knows what we're going to encounter. I was so sad, so sad. And then Cindy called me and she was like, 
I know what's going on with you. It's all good. I'll buy your ticket. Let's just get out of China. And she was like, meet me in three hours. We're taking the ferry. We're going to the Hong Kong International Airport. I was ready. I mean, it was crazy. I left behind a fully furnished apartment and everything, but I made it out of China. Thanks for listening to You Had Me at Black and our At the House series. We're going to take a short break, but we'll be back with a new season this fall. Stay on the lookout for updates and a new story call. And finally, we are thrilled to announce Team You Had Me at Black, a monthly membership for people who love the podcast and want more Black stories and experiences on a regular basis. You can learn more and sign up to be the first to know when it launches at youhadmeatblack.com slash teamyhmab. Until then, stay safe, take care of yourselves and each other. You Had Me at Black was created by two sisters. That's us, Martina and Brittany Abrahams. We produced this podcast along with Richard White. And Miles Dotson, our sound designer and engineer, he makes us sound good. <laughs>